I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Emotional Management, a weekly checkup from the neck up with Dr. Christian Conti, brought to you by Summit Psychology Services on KDKA Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. It's your weekly checkup from the neck up. The number, if you want to be a part of this show, is 866 3911020. So emotional management, what is that? It's about understanding how you relate to the emotions that you feel on every given day. Tonight I'm really excited because I have a special guest. I, I listen, I feel honored that in my life, in my career, I get to come across people who are just special, who are working on things that are profound. And tonight is no exception. Uh, my publicist for Walking Through Anger, my latest book, it's the seventh book in 21 years. I'm on book number seven. And I have just a phenomenal, phenomenal publicist. And she connected me with someone who I'm just awed by. He's just a phenomenal guy. His name is Dr. David Hanscom. And he is a, a spinal surgeon who actually has recommended, and we're going to talk about it tonight, but he's actually recommended, you know, he teach, he sees people as more than just another surgery waiting to happen. So he's the author of a couple books, uh, two primary ones I want to talk about tonight, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, and the other book is, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with a Surgeon's Advice. So, welcome on, uh, in, right now, live on Emotional Management, Dr. David Hanscom. Welcome. How are you, David? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm so glad to have you. I think I'm just awed by your story. You were a spinal surgeon who was doing surgeries for many years, and you said, wait, let me question everything I'm doing and look at a different path. Talk to us about, let's, let's hear, I want to. I just can't wait for the audience to hear from you. Well, I wish I was smart enough to have figured this out on my own, but I had no choice. And what happened, I was a fearless surgeon, spine surgery is a tough gig, and I was going along a thousand miles an hour, residencies, fellowships, and my attitude was bring it on. I honestly did not know much about anxiety because I didn't have time for it. And one day, driving across the Seattle Bridge called the 520 Bridge, I had a panic attack. So I went from no anxiety to panic attacks in five minutes. Mm. And once that hit me, for the next 15 years, I developed chronic pain, which mm. included extreme severe anxiety. And I thought anxiety was psychological, so I went to serious counseling, serious treatments, and things kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it took me until about five years ago to figure out that this is actually not a psychological issue. It's a neurochemical survival response. And it's just changed the game for me. So I'm actually doing fine. I had chronic pain for 15 years. I came out of it somewhat by accident. The neuroscience research caught up with my experience or vice versa. 
about 10 years ago. So neuroscience research has shown us that chronic pain with anxiety, the mental pain being the bigger problem, is actually a solvable problem. Mm. That is such a relief to so many people out there who are listening and struggling and thinking, I'm in pain, this is never going to end, there is no solution, I feel alone. And of course, we've talked about on this show frequently the relationship between pain and anger um, and, and pain and turmoil in your relationships because you're just not knowing how to handle it. So this is profound, that you're, the, the work you're doing. No, I'm excited about it, and most physicians, including myself historically, really dread treating patients in chronic pain because we don't know what to do. It's not that we're disinterested. We just have not been trained what to do, and I honestly would not have known what to do even now if I had not gone through my own terrible ordeal. But it turns out that anxiety and anger are actually the same thing. And, you know, anxiety is just the sensation generated by stress chemicals, and when you lose control of the situation causing anxiety, you become angry. And so you have more stress chemicals in an effort to regain control. So basically, anger is anxiety with a chemical kick. It's the same thing. So it's necessary for survival. If you didn't have anxiety, you wouldn't survive. You wouldn't even breathe, for goodness sake. So you can't get rid of it. It's necessary. Right. Well, let's think about that. Let's let's break that down for the audience. I mean, I think when we talk about if there isn't anxiety, we wouldn't survive. And people are saying, well, I could survive without anxiety. Well, technically, when we're talking about an evolutionary perspective, we kind of need anxiety or its neurological twin, fear, um, to be able to figure out what's safe, what's not safe. Right. Yeah, I mean, the species that survived this very day, is survival of the most anxious because it's the animals and creatures that do not pay attention to their environmental cues didn't survive. Mm. And so it's basic, the basis of life actually is anxiety. So powerful to look at that that way. So one of the things I've done with people through the years is try to have them relook at whatever anxiety they're experiencing. And maybe out there, maybe you're struggling with anxiety and maybe you're thinking, how do I deal with this? Like, how do I deal with this kind of stuff? Or maybe you're experiencing chronic pain. And that's why, I mean, when we're talking about the work you do, like this is helping people who have been in chronic pain for a long time. Right. No, it's, I mean, chronic pain is a solvable problem. And when I was in chronic pain myself, nobody could tell me what was going on. I tried every treatment you can imagine, and there was no hope. And not having hope is horrible, and you feel really trapped. Your life becomes one endless search for a cure. I became what I would call an epiphany addict. I just spent endless, endless hours looking for that one solution to solve my pain. But looking back on it, the pain that was the worst problem was the anxiety. It was the mental pain. And I talked to my patients, and I've given the choice of getting rid of their mental pain. I'm sorry. I've given the choice to get rid of their anxiety versus their physical pain. Most people can't tolerate the anxiety. Right. If you think anxiety is necessary for survival, I mean, it's intended to be so unpleasant that it forces you to take action, right? I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. So the sensation generated by this neurochemical response is intended to force you to take action to solve the problem. Again, otherwise you wouldn't survive. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a powerful subject to talk about because there are so many different treatments and different ways, and certainly there are people out there who are getting tremendous relief and help and support from psychotherapy around anxiety. Um, there are so many different modalities for treating anxiety, but the one that you found personally helpful 
was. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, again, anxiety represents elevated stress chemicals, and the way you decrease anxiety is simply decrease stress chemicals. So the unconscious brain processes about 11 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. So anxiety is what you have. It's not who you are. Who you are is this conscious brain. So what happens, the first step is to separate this neurochemical response from your identity. I wrote a website post called Anxiety, Your Bodyguard or Your Prison Guard. Anxiety is your friend. It's your bodyguard. It keeps you alive. But if you identify with identify with it, which is hard not to do, by the way, but if you identify with anxiety as being part of who you are, it's your prison guard. And so the first step is to separate this anxiety reaction that keeps you alive from your consciousness or your identity. And so I ask patients or people to say, look, visualize a large thermometer on the opposite wall and get rid of the word anxiety and just say my stress chemicals are elevated. And it decreases the anxiety, simply decreases stress chemicals. So visualize a thermometer going up and down, and there's a wordplay. I mean, there's nervous, alert, afraid, panicked, paranoid, and terrorized. I mean, there's different levels of anxiety, right? Yeah. But the whole goal is to actually visualize is simply elevated stress chemicals and take anxiety out of your vocabulary. It's going to be powerful. we got a lot to talk about. If you're struggling with anxiety, 866-391-1020 is the number. would love for you to be a part of the show. Of course, there are multiple modalities and treatment modes and treatment options, but what a blessing to have Dr. David Hanscom on the phone with us tonight to be able to talk about the approaches that he takes and he takes with his patients. It's beautiful. We've got a whole lot coming up on emotional management. 866-391-1020. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back. It's Emotional Management. Tonight, I have a special guest, uh, just an awesome human being who is working to help people in so many ways, um, Dr. David Hanscom, uh, I mean, a spinal surgeon who said, listen, surgery is not the only answer. Tell us about that. Like, you kind of went through that piece. Well, I'm one of those few people who has actually been on both sides of this fence. I trained at a very top spine fellowship. I came out of my fellowship determined to solve pain, back pain specifically. And I spent eight years being as aggressive as anybody in the country doing fusions for back pain. What I didn't know and still now know is that there's not one research paper that says that it works. There's not one research paper that says that doing a fusion for back pain is a legitimate reason to do surgery. The success rate is about 25%. So if you're one of those 25% of people that are listeners that had a good result, great. But my practice is a complex surgeon. We see the people who failed. And the problem is not only does the spine fusion fail, there's horrendous damage caused. The spine breaks down. I actually quit my surgical practice because I would see three to five patients every week having surgeries either done or recommended on spines that were basically normal without any rehab before the surgery. At the same time, my rehab became so effective that I was operating on less than 5% of my patients that came into me for pain. So it turns out that chronic pain is a brain disease. Pain is only sensed in the brain. It gets memorized. And then we know emotional pain and physical pain get processed in the same part of the brain. And so the mental pain turned out to be the bigger problem than the physical pain by far. So we're essentially, at the end of the day, doing spine surgery on anxiety. 
Mm. And it doesn't work. So you were finding patients that you were doing spine surgery on, they were still struggling with anxiety and all those other things. Well, it was, again, emotional pain and physical pain get processed in the same part of the brain. So not only would they have ongoing anxiety, it would become worse because another level of hope had been taken away. But the data shows you actually make pain worse when you do surgery in the presence of chronic pain. Have you heard of phantom limb pain where people have a leg amputated and they still have the pain afterwards? Yes, definitely. Okay, think about that. That's intense. Okay, the leg is gone. Medicine right now is focused on a structural source of the pain almost every time. We know the pain started. It started in the leg that's now gone. How? First of all, why is it there? Second of all, how can you do more surgery on a limb that's gone? That phenomenon of memorized pain circuits occurs in any part of the body. Headaches, neck pain, back pain, phantom limb pain. It's all the same thing. So it's happening. There are ways of dealing with that that are quite effective, dealing with the nervous system. So you can actually literally rewire your brain around those pain circuits. Pain goes away. So I think what I, I love, and I, as I listen to you, um, you're talking about the power of the mind, um, that there are things that people can do psychologically that can help them with that chronic pain. Right. And I'm going to just correct you a little bit. Now, I'll word correct, clarify a little bit. So you enter psychologically, there are interventions. The problem is a physiological problem. In other words, the psychological input changes, creates changes in the body's chemistry. When your body's full of stress hormones like adrenaline, cortisol, histamine, and cytokines, it doubles the nerve conduction. It's just on the blood supply to the brain and the gut and the bladder. So there's over 30 physical symptoms that are created from the mental input. When I was at the worst part of my chronic pain, I had 17 of these symptoms at the same time. They're all gone. My ears were ringing for 25 years. Ringing or tinnitus is a horrible symptom. It's gone. Never thought that would go away. Never had no idea. But what happens again when you're under stress chemicals, your nerve conduction, your nerve conduction doubles, so your, body, your body starts having sensations it wouldn't ordinarily have. And tinnitus is considered almost incurable. And again, I tried everything. It's gone. So you found a path that was freeing for you, and now you're sharing that with others. And what is it? What is the, what is the approach that you help people uh, do instead of doing things like surgery? Well, I wrote the book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap on a Chronic Pain. What it does is gives you the context of why you do what you do. In other words, it's not a solutions book, it's a concepts book. So once you understand the concepts, then you'll make your own choices of how to find your own solution. I also have a website called backincontrol.com that goes through four stages. And I'll just talk about stage one for a second because stage one is quite effective. The first step is a step called expressive writing. The research started in 1982 by Dr. James Bennybaker and Dr. Joshua Smythe out of Pennsylvania. And they found out simply by writing down your thoughts, which you can't escape, by the way, you've separated from them. And there's over a 1,000 research papers that document that expressive writing helps asthma, rheumatoid arthritis, wound healing, anxiety, depression, improves student performance, student grades, athletic performance. I mean, the list is unbelievable. And with my own journey out of chronic pain, I came across it by accident. And you simply write down your thoughts, you tear them up. Now, there's a bunch of forms of expressive writing, but for some reason, with the brain, you can't control your thoughts. So my concept of expressive writing is simply separate you from your thoughts, and that's the first step. 
So and we do a lot nothing, of work. I want to ask you this. So we do a lot of work in uh, regard in in psychotherapy. We do a lot of work about stepping outside of yourself, becoming the observer, not right. being your thoughts, but being able to be mindful of your thoughts. It sounds right. like this is similar in the approach. Right. And that's a very effective approach. And what happens, and we found out this is one step a little bit more basic than that, and you combine this with what you're talking about, it's wonderful. And what you're doing, I call it mechanical meditation. You simply, you know, with meditation, as you well know, you're simply separating from your thoughts. You're not your thoughts. You become an observer of your own thoughts. But when you're in chronic pain, it's tough. It's really tough to make that separation. And somehow the writing exercise is very concrete. Your thoughts are on the table. You're now separated by your thoughts with vision and feel, which are both part of the unconscious brain. And with my own journey, after 15 solid years of trying everything, within two weeks after I started the writing, things started to shift. About six months later, when I crossed the anger barrier, my symptoms disappeared. Remember, anxiety is elevated stress chemicals. Anger is even higher levels of stress chemicals. When you're trapped by anything, especially chronic pain, you're just incredibly upset. And Dr. Sarno called it rage. But when your body's at that level of stress chemicals, it's just all have all heck breaks loose. It's just a disaster. Oh, I'm so, yeah, telling you. So writing just broke it up. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's beautiful that you found a path that works for you. Dr. Ron Potter Efron, probably one of the leading specialists in the world on anger management, talks about the different types of rage and, of course, the different ways in which uh, rage is impacted neurologically. Sometimes it mimics anxiety. Sometimes it mimics uh, shame. Sometimes it mimics depression. So when we really look at those neurotransmitters and we look at what happens, it's pretty profound and fascinating so i'm so excited i'd love for you to stay on for another segment so if you can hang around we got a whole lot more dr david hanscom um his book is called back in control a surgeon's roadmap out of chronic pain we got a whole lot more coming up on emotional management of dr christian conti on kdka radio I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management. I'm excited because on the phone lines tonight, we have Dr. David Hanscom. He is, uh, listen, if you want to check out the website, it's backincontrol.com. He is the author of several books. I'm going to name two of them right now. First one, Back in Control. A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. And the other one is, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with a Surgeon's Advice. Dr. David Hanscom, he's on the phone right now. You found a methodology that works for you. You are excited about it, and you're sharing it with the world. Tell us the message you want people to hear whenever they're struggling with this chronic pain. Well, I think the first message is that chronic pain is solvable. Most of the medical profession, including myself historically, does not look at it as a solvable problem. Second of all, the essence of the solution is actually feeling safe. And what happens when you feel safe, it changes your body's chemistry. It's a physiological issue. In other words, it changes the body's chemistry. So when you full of oxytocin, the love drug, dopamine rewards, serotonin, the antidepressant, when you're full of those chemicals, your sense of well-being goes up, but the pain actually physically drops and it often disappears. So the essence of actually the solution is actually feeling safe. The thing is what's fascinating and interesting and I would say a little frustrating is that we actually have the answer to chronic pain. These are all well-documented medical treatments, every one of them, been documented in the literature over and over again. 
But there's a research paper out of Baltimore published in 2014 that shows that spine surgeons, both orthopedic and neurosurgeons, are ignoring the data that affects surgical outcomes before they recommend or do the surgery, only 10%. Mm. And right now, people are basically being operated on for anxiety. The body chemistry is way off. And so as you, as you learn to control your own body's chemistry, things change dramatically. I think it's so powerful to hear from a back surgeon that in your experience, obviously there are multiple experiences, people have different data, different experiences, but from your experience, you were seeing, you were doing surgery on people in back pain and finding that they were still stuck in chronic pain even after you've operated on them, and that's powerful information to get out there to the world. Well, again, that's the way I was trained. I was trained to, to do a fusion for back pain. It was the right thing to do. And I thought the data or success rate is about 90% because it's a pretty big operation. I mean, this is not a small operation. Yeah. Every time you do spine surgery at that level, you actually damage the spine permanently. Then I found, that I found out that the success rate was less than 25%. I just stopped. That was 1993. There's not been one research paper ever that shows that doing a fusion for back pain works. Not one. Mm. Wow. That's information I, th I think a lot of people don't know. In terms of the information in, in regard to your body, uh, your mind, and your thoughts, and your thoughts impacting the way you feel, that's definitely something that obviously is the center of this show and what we talk about all the time on here. But in terms of, like, you were medically doing surgeries and finding out, thinking that you were doing them with a 90% 90, 90 success rate and finding out that you were having a 25% success rate and finding out that people you operated on weren't getting better. I mean, that's powerful information. Right. Well, and what happened the last 10 years of my practice, especially the last five, is I, I was a referral surgeon. So I just see endless number of people who had had surgery that was, you know, well-intentioned. I don't think the surgeons are malevolent people, but they had well-intentioned surgeries. The spine would break down. They would be way worse than when they started. Then the other problem that people don't think about it is that once you've had spine surgery that's failed, your surgeon generally is not trained to take care of you. So that person is not going to be taking care of you long term. The primary care doctor is sort of overwhelmed with the whole situation and don't really know what to do with the surgical issues. Then the rehab doctors, again, same thing. They don't have the bandwidth to do this thing. And so you basically, I call it the surgical scrap heap. Basically, you have a failed surgery. The surgeon has, quote, done the best he or she could do and have a good life. But you're really essentially abandoned, which makes things even worse. And then and, and think about, so for years, you were dedicating yourself to something you were thinking was helping, and all of a sudden you had this epiphany that you spent years of your life hurting people. That had to be crippling for you internally. Yeah, it wasn't great. It was a bad moment. And, I mean, I've gone through multiple phases for wanting to quit. But then, again, I went into chronic pain myself. So I think the reason why this process has been so effective is, is first of all, I was in chronic pain myself for 15 solid years, and it was horrible. I was actively suicidal during the worst part of this thing. Mm. And so I came out of the hole a millimeter at a time, so I didn't know how it started. I didn't know how, how I came out of it. It wasn't until five years after I came out of the pain where I realized that here's the problem, and then the neuroscience research has become very clear as to how to solve the problem. But going back in the story, it was the anger. And mm. I was a perfectionist, which means I'm never particularly happy with who I was. And this endless adrenaline drive that took me up the hill to be, quote, successful, unquote, actually is the same adrenaline drive that took me right back down the other side. Mm. So I disguised my anger in perfectionism, high standards, high ideals. And when you're angry, you feel powerful, which covers up the feeling of anxiety, 
I had no connection to anxiety at all. My attitude was bring it on. Mm. And so I went from being a fearless surgeon, and I did. I brought on, you know, bring it on. And again, I had that panic attack out of the blue, out of nowhere. So I went from no anxiety to crippling anxiety in one day. Mm. It's, it's crippling, and it kind of lets us see. I think anxiety, panic attacks for people, even on like a, if we look at it, even it's a bigger level in life and what your meaning is. A lot of times when people have that first panic attack, it, it gets them to the point where it's humbling because you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was strong and powerful. I didn't think this could happen to me. And I'm a six foot, 250 pound guy, so I know I'm, I'm, I'm looked at as a much stronger guy, and I am physically strong, but I remember, and I talked about this last week on the show, the first time I had a panic attack, it was very crippling. It's immobilizing. Because you think, wait a minute, I thought I was too strong for this. I thought I had too much knowledge about this. But it's 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 a chemical process. Well, I mean, it was odd for me as a physician. I never had even heard of a panic attack. In fact, I was so disconnected from anxiety. I remember when I was 28 years old, a patient was admitted to my ward with an anxiety reaction. I actually had to go to the textbooks to look up the word anxiety. I just didn't wow. know what it was. And so when I hit this panic attack, I just I thought I was going to die. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I started sweating. My heart started racing. I almost passed out. Of course, I was on the road driving on the freeway, which didn't help at night. And it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And then that was just the beginning of a 13-year tailspin that just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And no matter which direction I went, I couldn't find any help. Nobody could tell me what was going on. But again, when you go back to the book and the website and, and things you and I have talked about, it's actually high school science class. In other words, we know when you're threatened, your body secretes stress chemicals, your heart starts to race, you start to sweat. And somehow, medicine has ignored the physiology part of this whole stress reaction. So we call it psychological, but it's actually physiological. And then what we sense, the feelings we get, is psychological. And we have these horrible sensations and we have all these behaviors to try to, try to deal with it. But the behaviors come out of this chemical reaction and how unpleasant it is. Yeah. I mean, that's the essence of what psychotherapy is, is learning how to deal with those um, chemical reactions that get us feeling a certain way. I mean, that's the... The crux of the entire field of psychology, and it sounds like you are bought into that approach that people can handle a lot of stuff in a psychological manner. Are there physical things, too, that they could go through instead of spinal surgery that, from, from what you found? Well, we found out that people that actually had spinal problems that were surgical, as they calmed down the nervous system, the pain would still disappear. So what happened is that you and my surgical patients were canceling surgery. I essentially put myself out of business. So the only reason I stayed in business was because of the opioid epidemic, because people would get infected spines from the IV drugs, and I would have to be the surgeon that I was one of the surgeons who would help clean these people's spines out. So my elective surgical practice dropped almost to zero. I mean, people came in with pain by rewiring the brain, calming down the nervous system, giving them exercises to do. It was unbelievable how people got better. I was just shocked. I had no idea. So it turned out that... Most physicians dislike treating chronic pain because we don't know what to do. Patients tend to get labeled, which makes things worse. And it became by far, by far and away the most rewarding phase of my career, watching people come back to life that had no hope. I mean, that's so beautiful. And I'd, I'd love for you to stick around for one more segment if you have the time. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, to hear that at 28 years old as a physician, 
people don't train physicians. You know, I get called in all over the country. I do trainings on my yield theory. I teach people about what goes on neurologically, how to handle it psychologically. I do this all over the country. And I, sometimes I get called in to uh, doctors and hospitals, and I'm thinking, don't they get this training all the time? Isn't this common? Isn't this commonly taught? But it's, it strikes me in the heart when I hear that even as a, a, a surgeon, they weren't teaching you about anxiety and how to handle it. So we're going to talk about that coming up. We've got a whole lot more. 866-391-1020 is the number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back to Emotional Management. It's your weekly checkup from the neck up. The number is 866-391-1020. If you want to be a part of the show, I love the, the just, I feel grateful that I'm in the position in life where I get to meet fascinating people who are doing really interesting work and interesting things. Um, so obviously this show is not intended to diagnose anyone. We certainly want you to be able to continue to talk to uh, your doctor if that's something that you're going to, uh, you know, if you're looking at spine surgery and things like that, we obviously don't want you to throw throw those ideas out the window. But it's cool to listen to this, uh, this awesome guest I have on, Dr. David Hanscom. And he's the author of Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap out of chronic pain and let me ask you this are there times when people come to you and they say well so are you saying no more back surgery what about spinal injuries and things like that well I mean I'm not against surgery I mean the bottom line is if you have a structural problem that needs to be fixed fix it but the data also shows that if it's elective in other words if you have tumor or an infection or a fracture you just have to fix it so I do a lot of spine surgery but what I'm against is doing spine surgeries, spine surgery in normal spines. And so basically disc degeneration, for instance, is responsible for probably two to 400,000 operations a year for back pain. It's been well documented that disc degeneration actually does not cause back pain. There's another paper out last month in the Journal of Pain that showed that every intervention we do for chronic pain of the knee and the spine has been documented to be ineffective. So we're actually pretending to offer solutions that we know don't work. But I will tell you that the process of getting better and healing is self-directed. It costs essentially nothing. It doesn't make a profit. My The medical system in general does not support the measures that we're talking about that are effective. Just one example is mindfulness-based stress reduction that came out of Boston years ago. It's been documented to be effective for decades. It's not covered by insurance. We know it works. It's been documented for a long time. And you know from your perspective about this common people down has dramatic results. I'm sure you see people just come out of the what I call the abyss all the time. And yeah. it's just not covered by insurance. Right. And I tell you, I, we, we, we almost cringe at the word just because we, one of the things we emphasize on this show is that so many people go through so much stuff and that sometimes people say, well, just do that. Hey, just calm down. And that doesn't, that doesn't actually calm anyone down. Um, no. It's a lot more to it than that. It's not that it's complex, but it does take effort to practice. You talked about right. journaling um, in, in cognitive behavioral therapy. They talk about self-talk. Of course, in narrative therapy, we talk about journaling, but also re recreating the story that you have. And right. then also, I'm, I'm like your work reminds me of the work of William Glasser, who is the founder of something called Choice Theory. Um, right. if, if, if people are looking and want to Google stuff, the Reality Therapy Institute, International Institute, where they talk about uh, really looking at your thoughts and how you can impact your, your physiology by impacting your psychology. 
Right. Yeah, the key issue here is that the psychology creates physiological changes, but then the physiological changes also create the psychology. In other words, your body's full of stress chemicals, you'll do, you'll drink, you'll take drugs, you'll do anything to avoid that unpleasant sensation created by the stress chemicals. So it's a bi-directional relationship, but what really causes the problem is the changes in the body's chemistry. But again, emotional pain and emotional threats are processed in the same area of the brain as a physical threat, in the same chemical reaction, but since humans can't escape through thoughts, this reaction is sustained. And then when you're trapped, then you get more stress chemicals, you become angry. And I've said this multiple times in my book, that anger is a continental divide of chronic pain. You are not going to heal if you're holding on to your anger. It can't happen. Mm. I think it's powerful. It's such a, I, I, I believe that. I, I see that. People don't find peace when they're trapped in anger, that's for sure. So we do a right. lot of work around that. Um, so that's powerful. So tell me how people can find you. Tell us about how they can find your work, your books. Well, my, my recommendation is the biggest block to, if somebody decides to engage in the concepts, again, I'm just organizing. They're well-documented to be effective. You go to the website, backincontrol.com. It's not a linear process. There's a set of concepts, and you'll pick your way through it on your own pace. Most people heal. Now, the biggest obstacle to healing is anger, which is irrational. People don't want to, they want something fixed, and the conversations are very irrational. So anger, by the way, is the biggest block to healing. People also become addicted to their pain. It's powerful. And so the neuroscience research shows that actually people become addicted to their pain. So simply start the process with the writing exercises. You may not feel like doing it. I always tell people, people, you don't have to believe a word I said. It's not about believing you're going to heal. It's simply going through the process that breaks up the circuits and reprograms them. And it's just a matter of time. I, I think so, that's yes. huge. That's huge. So the, the backincontrol.com. And are, right. is it a link with um, psychotherapy? I mean, like, t- teach me about the link with psychotherapy because it sounds right on par with what a huge portion of the psychotherapy field is. Um, right. Well, the first stage is a civil related foundation in understanding chronic pain. The second stage is about forgiveness versus play. There's, there's a huge contrast there. The third stage is about getting organized. In other words, you learn these tools, you have to somehow get organized to execute them. Then the fourth part, which I think is the ultimate answer to chronic pain, is the spiritual journey. Getting your perspective back, giving back, focus on others and not yourself. That's a long ways from being in pain. Mm. That's profound. That's awesome. So uh, I'm so grateful that you took time to come on the show tonight to talk about this. Backincontrol.com is the website. Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain is one of your books. Another one is Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with a Surgeon's Advice. Man, I, I love the, it sounds like you're doing really powerful work and stuff that's worked for you, too, So which puts an extra oomph behind what you're doing. No, it's been exciting. been an incredibly rewarding phase. Not that I would choose to go through this again, but I'm incredibly grateful to be able to share the concepts with people that I watch come out of pain. But we're watching hundreds and hundreds of people go to pain-free. It's been really rewarding. It's really a powerful feeling to be a part of other people's journey when they can break free and and really release that pain. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show tonight and taking time. You're all the way out in what you're in Oakland, California, right? Correct. Yes. That's awesome. Well, I hope you have a beautiful evening. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Is there a final word you want to give to our audience? Yeah, just please be open-minded. 
just be curious, move forward, and you'll be surprised. It's really a remarkable journey. And, I mean, what happens is people end up thriving at a level that they never experienced any time in their life. It's been really, really fun to watch that process occur. It's beautiful. I love hearing the, the, the excitement in your voice. Thank you again. His name is Dr. David Hanscom. His website is backincontrol.com. You can check out a couple of his books about Back in Control, a surgeon's roadmap out of chronic pain. And also, do you really need spine surgery? Take control of the surgeon's advice. we got a whole lot more coming up for you on emotional management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the second hour of Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. The number is 866-391-1020. I would love to hear from you. 866-391-1020. That's the number. So, look, we just had a great discussion around pain and the psychology of pain. And I want to be really clear that this show is not intended to diagnose you or to discourage you from going through with surgery. If you're in, if you're in route to get surgery, I want to make sure that you follow through with whatever the experts in your life are sharing with you. But I think one of the great things that our guest highlighted for us was this. It's worth checking all the angles. In other words, maybe, maybe absolutely surgery is right for you. But maybe there's another side of the box that says there are other underlying conditions that might be more pressing. For instance, this is emotional management, and I love to share information that could directly impact your lives. So there is a challenge that people face called fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia can manifest in physiological symptoms. So people experience pain all over. They experience the type of pain that can sometimes feel crippling. Now, there are treatments, there are options, there are different ways you can go about treating something like that. And all I ever want for you is to make sure to empower you to just explore as many options as you can. See, there was a, a psychologist years ago named William Glasser who started the uh, Choice Theory or the Reality Therapy Institute. It's an international institute. It's rooted in the idea and the concept that we are constantly making choices. You see, there was a man who wrote a book. He was a Neo-Freudian. He wrote a book called, his name was Eric Fromm, F-R-O-M-M. He wrote a book called Escape from Freedom. I'm going to summarize this 400-plus page book for you in minutes so that you don't have to spend it, although I would read it. It's really worth reading. But the essence of Eric Fromm's um, book, Escape from Freedom, was this. It's so scary to recognize that we have complete freedom to choose anything we want to choose in life, that we would rather have somebody just tell us, hey, tell, tell me what to do. Hey, what do you think I should do in this relationship? What do you think I should do in this situation? Because the moment someone tells us what to do in that situation, we now no longer have to hold responsibility for our actions because if we take your advice, we can say, hey, listen, I took your advice and it didn't work. But even if it works, we say, I took your advice. Thank you for helping me. And now we've created a dependent relationship. At the end of the day, we do face an incredible number of choices every single moment. And what you do with those choices 
has an impact. Now, when it comes to the idea of pain and chronic pain, there are so many of you out there who are struggling with long-term pain, and the last thing I would ever want you to hear on emotional management with me is that it's a just. Oh, hey, just do this. Just change your thoughts around. That's not real. That's not possible to, hey, just do this. It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. But what I want you to feel empowered with is the idea and understanding that when you do change your mentality, of course, you change your physiology. But some people are struggling with stuff that needs to be taken care of physically. If you fall out of a tree and break your arm, you can't will yourself back into not having a broken arm. Medicine is extraordinarily helpful for you. There are moments and time where things can be really helpful. We live in a world of extremes. Are you on this side or that side? Do you believe in this religion or that religion? Do you believe in this politics or that politics? And when we group together with our side, we eschew, we push off information that could be really helpful for us because, hey, that belongs on the other side. If I could do anything in my impact in this world, in this lifetime, it's to help you be empowered to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, to be able to say there are parts of some information that resonate with you, and what resonates, keep, and what doesn't resonate, don't keep. Because that is you relying on you. One of the greatest gifts that my parents gave me growing up was teaching me to rely on me. So in other words, they would teach me to think for myself. Don't just take in information without questioning it. Question it. And I'll never forget, my dad did this with me, and I, have, I, I, I adopted this. I definitely have done this with students and clients through the years. But he would say, you don't even have to just take in what I'm saying without questioning it. Like, question everything, even question what I'm saying to you. But he would challenge me, pursue an answer. Pick up these books, read these books, learn an answer. And that's what I've done with people throughout my career, and I've done it because I've taken my dad's spirit and given it to the world to say, question everything, question even me, but pursue an answer. Pursue an answer to your questions. There are alternatives to so many different things. There's a saying... Um, that I, I, you know, I posted this about a year ago. I wake up every morning, I meditate, and then I imagine I'm standing in front of the whole world, and I pull up my Twitter account, and I just say a statement. I think if I'm standing in front of 7 billion-plus people, what could I say that could impact the world in a positive way? And I do that every day. But when I do this, I think, like, these words have power. And one of the statements that I said uh, about a year and a year and a half ago or so was, those who have traversed the mountain from multiple sides are difficult to convince that only one path up the mountain exists. If you've traversed the mountain from multiple sides, it's difficult to convince you that only one side exists because you've seen other sides. And so whatever information that you get in life, recognize that it's one side of the mountain. It's one path. It could be beautiful, it could be helpful, but it's one path. And ultimately, you have to find the path that's right for you. I do believe in you. I believe in your spirit. I believe in your ability to get to where you need to be. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. This is why I had 
talked earlier with our guest about challenging that word just. I don't want to ever say just. Hey, just change your mentality. That's not easy. That's not easy at all. Changing your mentality is is powerful. It takes courage. It takes it takes guts to be able to face the way you've always seen the world and see the world differently. What I believe and the fire that burns in me burns brightly because I've watched it for more than 20,000 plus clinical counseling hours. I believe in the power of human beings to change. I think with all of me, that you can change whatever predicament you're in. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's not going to take a whole lot of work. I just believe it's possible. I believe it's possible. And I believe that there are many things to consider, not just our own perspective. Time and again, I say, we can challenge others easily. Oh, my goodness, it's so easy to challenge other people. But can we challenge ourselves? Can we challenge our own egos? Can we challenge the way we've always seen the world? And if we can do that, my goodness, we are on a path to a freedom like you have never known. 866-391-1020 is the number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Man, I wish I had a better intro. When I hear that music, I get fired up. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. So I love music. My daughter is ridiculously talented musically. My wife and I look at each other all the time and we say, how did she get all this talent uh, my wife's uh, father was extremely talented and, and, and musically and just could do so many things. But my wife and I are always awed by our daughter because we're like, where does she get all this talent? I get excited about music. So I'm a professional speaker. I go all over the country, and I love to talk, and I'm, I'm cool with standing in front of crowds of thousands of people and speaking, and I feel very comfortable doing that. <laughs> but there's a part of me that always wishes I had musical talent. So what I've been doing recently, I undertook the new hobby about a little over a year ago, of learning to play the guitar. And there are so many analogs between playing guitar and life. For instance, when you play guitar, when you learn guitar, you can do some of the most basic things, and you need to do them over and over and over again. And you, you, there's a feeling, like I get a feeling like, oh, I love to keep going. I love to rock out. My wife will come by the room and say, uh, you really, <laughs> you're, you're picturing yourself on stage right now, aren't you? <laughs> Yes, I am. I'm picturing myself playing for thousands. And she'll say, uh, you know, you love to rock out, and I do, but the reality is that I've gotten better, finally, at guitar, but I've gotten better because I practice on the basics, on the fundamentals. And there's no difference between that and life. In life, we need to practice on those fundamentals. It's not a just. It's challenging. It's difficult to practice those fundamentals. Listen, if you're struggling with practicing the fundamentals, if you want to be a part of this show, 866-391-1020 is the number. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you're lashing out at your loved ones because you're in pain and you don't know how to deal with it. Maybe you listened to the first half of the show and you said, okay, there are some things that I would like to consider or look at or learn. Well, you want to talk about it, 866-391-1020. I would love to. I would love to talk to you. So anxiety and anger, I, I want to hit on that. I want to highlight that because that's something that is we deal with all the time. If you follow my work on YouTube or if you, you I, I, my, my latest book, we talk about this, Walking Through Anger. But the, the, the question is, how do we deal with 
anxiety, and many times it manifests as anger. So here's what I want you to picture. Imagine that anxiety, depression, shame, these are kind of like the lowest, most difficult challenges we face psychologically. And so what do we want to do? We want to lash out in anger because when we lash out in anger, we release endorphins. We start to feel good temporarily, momentarily, because after we feel good about lashing out, we then feel bad about what we've just done. And when we feel bad about what we've done, we start to live in shame, and then shame begets shame, and oh my goodness, the cycle continues. The more you can understand about your own cycle, about your own processes, maybe you struggle in pain a lot. Listen, pain can be crippling for people. I was working with a guy years ago who was struggling with chronic pain. He was so caught up in his own world, in his own pain, when he came into therapy the next week, he said, you know, my wife, my, my family, they don't appreciate me. I said, tell me about it. He said, my wife made dinner. She made dinner. The kids were at the table. She wanted me to come down for dinner, and I made the effort to come downstairs to dinner. I did that for her. And then, you know, like she didn't even appreciate that I came down to eat that dinner. And I said, my man, because my job is to hold a mirror to people. My job is to hold a, peer, a mirror to people to help them see. When I confront people, I confront them out of love. I said, my man, do you hear what you're saying to me? Your wife worked really hard. Your wife made the dinner. Your wife got the children around the table for dinner, and you graced them with your presence, and they should be thankful that you came to eat the meal she prepared and worked and made? He said, oh, I didn't realize that. I said, that's okay, because here's the deal. My job is never to shame anyone. I, don't, I believe that, look, the, the, the main thing I've learned through my life is that when you live in shame, you act out of shame. So it's not about living in shame. Oh, I can't believe I did that. That's okay. You messed up. You see, if you, if you mess up, and then you bring that into the next moment, not only did you mess up in the past, but now you're messing up in the present moment. The past is gone. Let the dead past bury their dead that's a poem from a psalm of life a psalm of life henry wadsworth longfellow i was hoping that name would come to me when i started to say that poem it's called a psalm of life but he says in the poem let the dead past bury its dead this is an important line because it's powerful and it's it's meaningful to you right here in your present moment. Whatever happened in the past, if you're bringing that to the present, you're now keeping that alive. And that's true if you're the one who caused that pain. That's true if you're the one who said, okay, I treated my family wrong. Now I feel bad. Because watch what can happen. Please stick with me. Watch what can happen. Now you go back to your family. Maybe that man goes back to his family and he says, I was wrong now, I'm sorry, I messed up. Now, I need you to comfort me and tell me it's okay. Now, they're still making you the central focus. It's challenging. That's what pain does to us. Pain is gripping. Pain keeps us locked in our own psychological prisons. 
But when we can be aware of it, when we can be mindful of the pain that we're experiencing, when we can be mindful of the suffering that we're experiencing, we can at least express that to others. One of the best techniques. So, 21 years in the field, countless hours doing this stuff. I work with people in maximum security prisons. I work with celebrities on television. I work with some of the best athletes in the world. And it comes down to a technique that my wife and I have learned to do that I want to share with you right now, and that's this. Being able to say to your loved ones, I'm struggling is not personal, but what I'm going through, I can tell it's affecting me. What if you were mindful enough to say, I can recognize that my body is going through a lot right now. I feel agitated. I feel irritable, but I recognize it's not you. You see, here's what happens. Our mind always wants to match our body. So if you follow my work, if you if you got my new book, Walking Through Anger, and you're reading about yield theory, and you're learning about yield theory, and I'm humbled and I'm honored to hear the reactions and the people who are writing in saying that they're listening every week from all over the world. I'm so thankful to you for doing this. If you're learning about yield theory and you're understanding one of the differences that separates something like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is wonderful and powerful and transformative, from yield theory is that, yes, we embrace cognitive behavioral therapy. We embrace the concept that your thoughts impact your feelings, but we take it another step and say sometimes your mind wants to match your body. So maybe you're struggling. Maybe right now you're struggling mentally. Physically, physically, you're struggling. How do you deal with that? Well, we create a story to make sense out of it. When our mind wants to match our body, we seek to create a story to make sense out of why we're feeling the way we do. So let's say you're in pain. Let's say right now, maybe you're struggling with shame. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety. And so what do you do? You feel agitated. You feel irritable. And you take it out on your loved ones. You snap at your loved ones. Hey, listen, this is you. You're the one who's causing me this pain right now. You're the one who's doing this to me. What I want you to see is this. Your mind will race to create a story to make sense of how you're feeling. And once you become mindful of that, it's not a matter of, hey, just... Tell yourself different thoughts. No, no just, no just at all. It's a matter of redefining your reality, redefining the experience that you're having in the present moment. And sometimes it comes down to saying to your loved ones, look, I feel really agitated, really irritable. It has nothing to do with you. I don't want to make up a story. I, I, I want to bite your head off, but I'm not going to because I'm telling you right now that I want to because my, my body's agitated and irritable. And what if you could further say to your loved one, like, I know that you're the safest person for me to express myself to, so I'm telling this to you because you'll hold this space sacred for me, so that's why I'm taking it out on you more. You see, once we become aware once we become aware, so many things change. So what I would invite you to do is this. Be mindful. What if you, let's do this right now. Step outside of yourself. Imagine that you could step outside yourself and look inward. 
And maybe you can identify the pain bodies. Maybe you can identify the things that are going on internally with which you're struggling. And instead of identifying as those things, you identify those things. You point them out. And now instead of becoming those things, you recognize that they don't define you. That is not all of you. If I smack my elbow off the door, that pain doesn't define me. But it certainly influences me. And if I'm not aware of how, I start to take it out on others. This awareness is powerful. It's why I do this show, Emotional Management. And I would love for you to be a part of the show. 866-391-1020 is the number. we got plenty of time on Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. we got some powerful stuff on the schedule tonight. I'm going to go to the phone lines, though. And uh, Brad, you're on the show. You remember I talked to you one day before? I do. What's up, Brad? How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I wanted to tell you, I had two big surgeries. One, The first one was back in 2001. I had total knee replacements, both knees at the same time. The doctor did the surgery. He had a conference with me before he did the surgery. And I don't know, he talked to me maybe a half hour or so. And before uh, he released me to go home, I, he said, uh, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you've got a disposition. You're going to do well with these surgeries. I had both of my knees replaced at the same time. And uh, after the surgery, I didn't have a leg to stand on. But I went through the therapy and done real well, and I'm still doing good. Best thing I've ever done, replace those knees. They were That's killer. awesome. <laughs> I love it. If I remember correctly, Brad, you've been fairly uh, calm throughout your life. Is that correct? That's the way I am. I want you to take this as a compliment, Brad. I literally interact with thousands of people since last week. I've interacted with so many people, but I remember that about you, and I love that about you. Uh-huh. Well, you have to have a good attitude going into the stuff like I did, you know. And and the thing of it is, uh, I had another surgery here in October this past year, and I had a plate in the back of my neck. I got hurt at work uh, back in the 90s, and... Uh, it started bothering me, and I went well, as long as I could. I started losing my balance and stuff like that. So I went to see a surgeon, and uh, he said, uh, you got to get this done. He said, two screws of that plate you got in there come out, and they're almost into your esophagus. He said, we got to fix that. And I debated whether to do it. I'm 81 years old, and I'm, at my age, I didn't know whether I want to do that or not. And uh, he said, you come back and see me. And he said, uh, try to make up your mind what you want to do. So he said, bring a family member with you. So I had a daughter-in-law that was a nurse. I took her with me. And uh, he showed me the pictures that they'd taken, the x-rays and stuff. And he said, your neck's in bad shape. He said, you better get this done. So she told me, we, we come up the doctor's office, and she said, you've got to get that done, Dad. She called me Dad. She said, you're, you're in bad shape back there in the back of your neck. I had a crushed vertebrae. That's what started it all. Wow. And uh, so he went in and done that, and uh, I, can't, I couldn't believe it, and he couldn't either. I didn't have no pain over that surgery he'd done. And uh, he, he mentioned to me, before I did that, I said, you know, I'm in your hands, and I'm also in God's hands. 
He said, that counts. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he did that surgery. It was a five-hour surgery. And uh, they sent, I did the therapy in the hospital, and I'd done it real well, and everything was good. And, uh, what he couldn't get over, I didn't have pain with it, and I couldn't believe it either. So uh, I'm still doing real well, and that went through good. And I, they sent therapists here to the house, and they only come once to see me. I did everything they told me and said, you don't need therapy. You're doing well. That's great. So your so your message to the people is you went through the physical um, aspect, but then your mental uh, preparation kind of really helped you get through. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I remember that about you. I love that about you. Like I just I love your energy, and I like I definitely remembered you right away. I was like, oh yeah, that's my man Brad. Like he's he doesn't have a lot of stressful events, or he I'm does, happy. but he handles them well. I'm a happy go lucky guy. I love it. Well, I appreciate you, Brad. Sure. Enjoy your program. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling in. Goodbye. Um, love that guy. He's awesome. Um, so true, though. Your mentality is, is big. Here's the challenge. Okay, here's here's the part that if I could reach in your heart and have you feel it's this. You, We can say that the mental game is important, and as a person who is in this field, of course I believe this is important, but I also want you to understand balance. You see, I think that we get so hard on ourselves like, well, I should be feeling better right now. I shouldn't be having these thoughts. Like if you take a moment to really be grateful for everything that you have and you think about it, if you really think about everything that you have, and if, and if you can't think of the things to be grateful about, start with your breath because you wouldn't be alive if you couldn't breathe. Start with your hearing because you wouldn't hear me if you weren't able to, if you didn't have hearing, you wouldn't be able to hear me right now. Think about your most basic needs and build on that gratitude. When you build on that gratitude, it's transformative. It doesn't mean that you throw out everything, that you never go to the doctor, that you never do this or that. It means there's a balance. There's a balance to it all. There is balance in life the question is are you finding the balance that's helpful for you look if you're struggling with anxiety anxiety is not wrong or bad in and of itself anger is not wrong or bad in and of itself emotions are what they are we attribute whether something's good or bad right or wrong the reality is that emotions are emotions and anxiety can, in many ways, motivate you to be very good at what you're doing. Think about it. If you're struggling with anxiety, you might have become really great at your craft because maybe constantly in your mind you're thinking, well, I should work harder. Well, I should keep up with this person or I should, I should ex ex exceed what this person believes I can do or maybe I should get better than that. But whatever it is, anxiety can drive you to perform well. Anxiety in and of itself is not wrong or bad, but when anxiety begins to cripple you or as we say, look, here's where something becomes a mental health challenge when it begins to interfere with your daily functioning. So when anxiety gets to the point where I don't know that I can leave the bathroom right now because I've only washed my hands about seven times and I need to do it ten, that's when it interferes with your daily functioning. When an anxiety inhibits you from doing what you would otherwise do, that's when it becomes an issue. 
And here's the reality. It is manageable. It is possible. What's passable is possible. That's a fact. But it's going to take effort. What I want you to know is I believe in you. You know, it. this kind of analogy, this story reminds me. Years ago, there was a young man. His mother brought him into therapy. She said all he does is skateboard. He just wants to be a professional skateboarder. The kid was about 14 years old. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to be a professional skateboarder. They get paid. They get sponsors. They get fame. I want that. Boom. I said, great. Let's do it. You can do that. His mother looked at me like, wait, are you telling my son he can be a, a skateboard? This is what he's going to be of his profession? I thought I was bringing him here for you to bring some awareness to him. I said, he can. Let me ask you something, young man. How long do you spend skateboarding? He said, I do it every weekend. I said, how long do you think? How many hours do you think an actual professional skateboard competitor puts in? You think it's once a week and the weekend when he feels like going? No, it's every day. How many hours a day do you think? You think a half hour, an hour, two hours, five hours? So you see, once we start to figure out what it actually takes to become this, I believe wholeheartedly that you can become this. But yes, it's going to take effort. Now, if you're willing to put in hours on end every single day, then yes, absolutely, I believe you'll be exactly what you want to be. The problem is when we confuse ourselves and say, well, I want that, but I don't want to put in the effort to work toward that. I want that, but I I should just have it now. It doesn't seem that hard. I remember a young person came to me one time. They watched me. He watched me speak, and he said, "I want to do that. I could. I could do that. I could stand up in front of an audience and memorize a talk. I could do that easily." I said, "That is not what a speaker is. A speaker doesn't speak a message. A speaker lives a message. The difference is when I go into places." I'm living this message. It's going to take effort. I believe you can do it. Absolutely. you. If I can do it, you can do it, but it's going to take effort. It's going to take time. And the same is true. Whatever you're going through, I believe with all of my being you can get through it. It's going to take effort. But we've got to challenge that self-talk. We have to challenge those No, I can't do it. We have to challenge that mentality inside you that says, well, what if I can't do it? Let me help you challenge that, because you are incredibly capable. 866-391-1020 is is the number if you want to talk to me specifically about what you're going through. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. Welcome back to Emotional Management. 866-391-1020 is the number. So tonight's show has been about the power that you have in your mind to be able to influence what's going on with you. But make no mistake about it, there are multiple paths up the mountain. Maybe you've only gone up one or two. Maybe you've gone up multiple. Maybe maybe there are still more for you to go up. But here's what I want you to know. Look, maybe you're considering you're facing surgery or things like that. I would never want you to listen to one show and think, okay, that's it. Now I'm going to do this, or now I'm going to do that. My hope is that you question things. Question things, but just expand your knowledge as much as you can. Try to see things from multiple perspectives. Of course, we live in a world 
where we like to take things to extremes. So it's funny. I do this YouTube channel, and I'd love for you to check it out. You go to YouTube. Just type in Dr. Christian Conte, C-O-N-T-E. Got a bunch of videos on life. Um, but when I hear from people, and we're talking about, I've been doing this channel for a little bit now, so we've got, you know, 80,000 plus people who are um, subscribing to the channel. We hear from people all over the world. And sometimes, and the vast majority of stuff is so kind, it's so nice, it's ridiculously humbling to hear. Um, but there are definitely people who just get fired up. What fascinates me, because I love to look at the human psyche, is how much people will run with an argument that they created in their mind. I thought about this today. Follow, follow me on this. Imagine, imagine we were watching two boxers fight. Now, listen, it's the beginning of the fight. They've just introduced them. The bell didn't ring. The fight didn't start. Imagine as a spectator you were watching one of the boxers start throwing up wild blocks, really angry and fast, furiously throwing up a bunch of blocks and getting himself physically tired before the match even started. From the outside, you would look at that and say, what is he doing? He's going to burn out all his energy before the match even starts. And maybe that's what we even see. We see someone going 100 miles an hour in this warm-up, you know, fiercely throwing blocks as if punches are coming, but nothing's coming because the fight hasn't even started yet. And it's ridiculous, as that might be for us to watch from the outside. Let me ask you this very powerful question. How many times have you argued with others in your mind before you ever got to them, before you ever interacted with them or spoke with them about whatever the topic is, but you argued in your mind over and over again? You were no different than the boxer who stands in the corner and fights furiously, defending himself against punches that aren't even being thrown. I call it shower arguments. How many times have you argued with others in the shower and you think, boy, I told them, oh, I told them off. And then you get out of the shower, look yourself in the mirror and realize, oh, my gosh, I was just talking to myself. You see, it's like playing chess with yourself when you argue with yourself. When you argue with others in your mind, it's like playing chess with yourself. You're not going to trick yourself into what move you're making. And the same way, when you argue with others in your mind, you're not actually creating their argument. You're creating the argument you want them to have, and then you're defending against that. But that's all make-believe because it's not even real. And how many times have you done that with loved ones? I know my loved one's going to say this or that. And, and when we love to say, well, this person's not going to change, but how many times have you changed throughout your own life? I said this before, I think this is an important statement to recognize, and that is those who have not undergone personal growth themselves are reticent to see personal growth in others. So if you're stuck still believing the same things you believed from when you were 13, 14, 15 years old, 20, 25 years old, 30, 30, if you're as an adult and you're still looking back on those moments and you're still believing the same things with conviction that you believed as a child without ever really questioning it, without ever researching and really understanding it from multiple perspectives, think about that. 
you've grown, you've changed your perspective, you've learned, you've learned so much in this lifetime. And if someone was to come up to you and say, uh, you're the exact same as you were 20 years ago, you'd probably feel defensive. You'd probably say, look, you have no idea what I've been through for the last 20 years. You're trying to keep me in the static picture that you saw me in 20 years ago, but my life has moved. I have evolved. I have grown as an individual. And if you have grown as an individual then how arrogant is it to believe that others can't also grow as individuals? How arrogant is it to believe that other people are the people we knew them to be 10, 15, 20 years ago? We all grow. We all learn. We all go through so much. And our reticency, reticence, easy for me, our hesitancy to see the growth in others is really looking at the uh, being hesitant to see the growth in ourselves. Because once we've grown in ourselves, we can recognize that growth in others. I've always been, I've, you know, there's a part of me, I trained counselors for years. For more than a decade I spent in my career, I was a tenured professor at a university. I trained counselors. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with this. I was disappointed through the years when I would see counselors tell me, that they didn't believe people could make changes. I'm, I'm like, what, what are you doing? This is our profession. I do believe people can make whatever. I believe in you right here, right now. I believe in you and your ability to change. Yes, it's going to take effort. Yes, it's going to take work. But if you so choose to dedicate yourself to whatever changes you want to make, uh, trust me, you have a champion in, in your corner who believes in you, because I do, I believe in it. I believe in the human spirit. I've seen it so many times. Does it take effort? Yes. Does it take, does it take the work? Yes, but it's possible. And if you've done the work, imagine the people you're interacting with, because they've done work too. And here's something that's really, really awakening. Even people who think differently from you, even people who oppose the way you believe, Maybe they have personal growth, too. Even people who see the world differently and have different experiences, those experiences aren't wrong and bad. They're different from yours. And if you want to choose to help people see what you're seeing because it worked for you, beautiful, wonderful, that's great. But just because your eyeglasses work for you doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to work for others. Those who have traversed the mountain from multiple sides are difficult to convince that only one path exists. There are lots of ways to get to where you want to be, but pick a path and get there. Because this life goes fast. We had the death of a, a phenomenal athlete this week, Kobe Bryant. It's gut-wrenching to know somebody so young and his children and the children who were on that flight that they passed away, it's gut-wrenching. It hurts to know. Life is fast. And because life is fast, it's important for us to put our best foot forward. Be easy on each other. Be easy on the way you see the world and strive. Hey, as always, I'm here every week. I wish you much peace. This is Emotional Management on KDK Radio. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 